Welcome to chapter 32 of the Next Gen Movement, where we are joined by the lovely Beck Mitchell. She is an international keynote speaker with a background in physiotherapy and meditation and specializes in corporate wellness. And one of the things that we really like about Beck is she uses evidence-based frameworks to convey her teachings and her philosophy and yeah, some pretty, pretty cool stuff, especially for a lot of us in corporate that are sitting at home, working from home, trying to juggle many things, life, stress, work. She really helps us unpack how to keep sane during these times. Enjoy. Take care. Have a great day. Peace. Welcome to Next Gen Movement, our sole mission to empower tomorrow's leaders by harnessing and unleashing collective wisdom, lessons and experiences of thought leaders within the community. All right, everyone, we want to welcome you to our next show of the Next Gen Movement. In this chapter, we dive deep with Beck Mitchell. After seven years as a physio and obtaining a master's degree in neuroscience and psychology, and working with top surgeons, sport doctors, and dietitians at Sydney Olympic Park Sports Medicine, Beck has decided to take the alchemy of her learnings to top firms such as CBA, Westpac, Ernst & Young, and the Australian Army. And today, she's sharing it with us. So welcome, Beck. Thank you for having me. Welcome. Thank you for coming. <laughs> it's nice when you don't have to travel for podcasts at the moment. You can just do it from the comfort of your own living room. It's nice when you don't have to travel for work meetings as well. It's much more efficient and cost-effective, isn't it? It's true. Although I read today there's a big study that's just come out of Harvard and NYU saying that meetings have increased by 12% since we've all been working from home and the workday has increased by 48 minutes. So <laughs> there is a downside. It's actually interesting that you, you mentioned that because what I find is I like micro meetings because of my attention span. So I, I like meetings that are typically like 15 to 20 minutes. And I found out now that we're in the Zoom environment, I can have more of those. It's more acceptable. So I'll have more meetings through the day, but they're shorter and they're punchier. Um, and you can kind of cut out all the noise with, with Zoom versus when you're in person, there's a lot of pleasantries that can end up taking you a little bit, you know, longer than usual. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I'm going to ask some questions. Toph and I are going to kind of piggyback off each other. And what I really want to dive into first is I read about you um, when you were younger, you used to bug your parents and, and everyone around you about the meaning of life and somewhere along the course of your life that then turned into understanding how to live your best life. So can you unpack that a little bit in, in terms of the, the evolution of that whole process for you? Yeah, it's a, that's a really good question. I think I was just a kind of a weird child. I was really shy and like quite nerdy and I was lucky enough to, like I got bullied really badly in primary school and ended up moving to a girls school when I was in year four. And I had this amazing principal who put me into this program where I got to study philosophy and Greek mythology. So from the age of like eight, I was learning all this really cool stuff about like, you know, why are we here and what's the purpose of life and is a tree really a tree? And I just... Oh, yeah arrived on that stuff. I loved it. Um, but I think it probably made me a little bit like kooky as a 
kids, not like the coolest thing to be wanting to chat about in the schoolyard when everyone else is playing hopscotch. Um, but then, yeah, I just, I then started reading more. I got really, really into philosophy and you know, for a while I was really into Buddhism, <laughs> just loved reading anything I could get my hands on to understand how we can really feel better and live better. And then studied physiotherapy, like you said, and was a physio in the sports world for quite a long time. It just felt like they weren't really my people, I guess. Like I'm a bit too nerdy. I'm not super sporty myself. And so I ended up moving into the corporate world where I feel like I connect a lot more with most of the people that I work with on an everyday basis now. Yeah. You, on top of that, Beck, you were talking about how you just, you fall more into the corporate scene and obviously you cater to mainly corporates and you introduce wellness into there. And I'm for, for myself, like I'm, I'm having to do like, I probably dedicate an X amount of time to myself to meditation and all these things because of it could be anxiety it could be anything and i know for myself before what i know what it feels like to be in a toxic work environment um the the companies i was working for might not have any sort of wellness incorporated but what is something practical for anyone that might be listening that might be going through the same thing where they can um, implement a little bit more wellness into them if they're feeling a little bit more alone or whatnot in a in a toxic work environment that they're going through right now. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, that's super common at the moment and we're getting all sorts of different mental health concerns coming through like mental health claims have skyrocketed. And as we all know, looking at the statistics from lifeline and beyond blue, unfortunately, any people, anyone that's maybe had a bit of an issue previously, or maybe didn't even have any predisposing factors is now suffering more with kind of mental health issues. So, I mean, there's, I talk all day on this sort of stuff and there's an absolutely a very long list of stuff that I would recommend. I think the first thing to say is that if you are struggling, that it's really important to speak to a professional. So I always say go and get a telehealth appointment with a GP and then get yourself a mental health care plan and speak with a psychologist. They are the most highly trained people in this area. And if you've tried psychology before and you didn't love it, then make sure that you try a different one because it's really about finding one that you really mesh well with and that you really get along with. And I think for me, it took a couple of tries of different people. And even if you don't have mental health issues, but you're just finding that you're a bit more on edge at the moment than usual, that's really normal. And seeing a psychologist isn't just for people who are mentally unwell for all of us and you can really be given some tips and tricks that you can just work on they usually give you a bit of homework and it really does make a big difference in how we manage in these sorts of situations mm. in in terms of the 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 corporate dynamics as well given people are now operating from a dispersed uh kind of work flow the the interpersonal relationships and, and people dynamics are shifting within organizations as, as well. Um, are you seeing or are you aware how, how, how this is impacting culture in terms of businesses? Yeah, I mean, obviously connection is one of the biggest things when it comes to culture, but also mental health and the research is really strong there. So the need to sort of facilitate 
connection through alternative methods is mm. really vital. And some companies are doing that really well. And I know, like I've been speaking to some HR managers who are literally like calling every employee themselves each day if it's a smaller company or they're setting up smaller group Zoom meetings on a Friday evening where people have drinks and chat. And I think things like rewards and recognition are particularly vital at the moment because you've got people plugging away at home for like eight to 10 hours a day, not really feeling like anyone's necessarily noticing that they're achieving mm. things. And at the moment we need as much kind of recognition as possible to keep that motivation level high. So I think the companies that are doing really well at this are making that conscious effort to be out there promoting the fact that they are aware of people that are working really hard and, and, you know, celebrating them. There's a guy that I speak with who works for a large accounting company and he um, keeps me posted since attending some of my workshops on his progress with his like step count and how well he's doing with his nutrition and stuff. And he's just been nominated to speak as a motivational speaker for his company because he's been doing such a great job. And that sort of thing really reflects that companies are aware of people and what they're doing. And I think that's so important at the moment. Yeah, for sure. For sure. With just touching on like the whole zoom thing before, obviously today we're living like zoom fatigue is literally a term of today. And that's, that's fascinating. <laughs> um, I'm back in the office full time. So I'm not really on zoom as much unless I'm doing like these podcasts, but something to do with technology was a blog that I had seen you written actually Beck, And it was about, I think it was like how five ways, five ways, how our phones can help us. And I think going from memories like meditation, fitness, um, the Pomodoro technique to do list and podcasting. Um, now with COVID and all this, we're surrounded by technology and even pre COVID, but like, for yourself, like what are like some practical tips that you would avoid with the phone and technology? Good memory, by the way, reciting that blog post. I couldn't have remembered those <laughs> myself <laughs> if I tried. Um, yeah, that, that's a great point. And I do think that one of the big contributors to mental health issues at the moment is that increased amount of social connection through phones only. And so you do get this like phone fatigue, which we know even the presence of your phone being near you increases our stress hormone cortisol levels. So we know that we do need some time away from it. So some things that I suggest, you know, particularly for people in Melbourne or anywhere else in Australia to actually leave your phone at home when you go for a walk, because it's something we tend to just have it strapped to us 24 seven and we go for a walk and we've got like a podcast on or we're chatting to a friend or we're listening to music and really our brain needs breaks from so much constant bombardment with information and if you just go for a walk and you like outside listening to the birds and looking at the trees that gives your mind a really nice break so that's one thing I recommend and then another thing that I do every single day is I turn my phone off for the first two hours like once I've done my run and my meditation I have my phone off from seven till nine and that's like my hours of power where I get done all my most important tasks and I find that my brain just functions so much better when I don't have that even just the knowledge of the fact that my phone could go off at any moment or that temptation to start scrolling Instagram or something. So just being conscious and creating some little things in your day that allow you some space away from technology can be so helpful. It's uh, yeah, that's fantastic advice Beck, And I, I do agree with that too. I, I, I wake up very early, uh, typically around 4 30 AM. And what I find is I get more done when the world is sleeping um, because yeah. I don't feel like I'm getting pulled into the rush of it all. Um, I want to talk about, the the workday and um, your view on high performance. So for personally for me, I've always integrated a lot of things into my workday that are unwork related and sometimes controversial within 
the other directors and partners, but they know that, that it works for me. I'm of the view that I have to do many things during the day to keep me at peak performance and keep my mental health right that aren't always work-related, but I know it'll actually impact the work I do, if that makes sense. So sometimes yeah. I go for runs at noon. Sometimes I do lots of things uh, during the workday that aren't work. What's your, your, your whole view on this kind of uh, integrated approach? What's, I guess, your philosophy on, on achieving high performance? Well, I guess the first thing to say is, you know, healthy workers are three times more productive according to research. And sometimes it's just not possible for people to fit their exercise in like first thing in the morning or in the evening if you've got kids. And so really, I think employers are increasingly becoming conscious of the fact that um, particularly when it's wellness related, squeezing those things into the day are actually really beneficial for people's mm. productivity. And I do think a large part of it, like obviously you figured out maybe you're a morning person and you're really productive in those first few hours of the day. And that's awesome. And I think people need to sit down and, and look at the times in their day when they're at their best. And I find like for me, I'm awesome until about 2 p.m. And then I'm just like, it's a disaster area from then on. So I tend to like at two o'clock, that's when I'll go and maybe do a walk or some meditation or something to try and rejuvenate myself. And then I, I literally have like that two hours off because I know I'm no good then. And then I'll start kicking back into maybe another hour or so of just more of my like um, chores rather than the important task, which I always do first thing in the morning. Whereas there'll be people who are the opposite and they need to do all of the important things at the end of the day. Cause that's when their mind is at its best. Mm. Mm. I, I've, I've noticed like myself, I've, I've switched over the years. I've, I've gone from literally a night owl and I think I still prefer being a night owl. I don't know something about it. that I actually get like the best out of myself at like two in the morning. But I know it's just not practical with, with work. It's um, having that transition was actually pretty hard. And I, I find that even wellness, I see that correlation is with discipline. Do you, do you find that the same there? Yeah, in terms of like you're more disciplined when you're at your best, at, at like at the time of the day you're at your best? Yeah, and, and just looking after ourselves as well. Yeah, I think. And it's genetically, we are, some of us are morning people and some of us are evening people. So whilst you can, you know, take efforts to change it, it is naturally some of us are just better in the evening. And I think often if that's the way that you work best, if it's possible with work to kind of gear your day towards the end of the day, sleep in a little bit later, and then, you know, maybe do your exercise a bit later on in the day and those sorts of things. I think that's really sensible because you've got to listen to, it's, you know, called your chronotype and actually adhering to that makes you feel more motivated, but also you'll just function better. It's an interesting one, Tope, because I used to backload my day, um, especially when I was doing my MBA, and I would do study and exercise in the evening. But when I had kids, kids are a shifting dynamic in the sense that you no longer own your time. And what I found with kids is I've become much more efficient. So typically I'm an evening person, but as an endurance runner that has to train for long hours during the day, but still has kids, sometimes I'm running at 4.35 a.m. for two hours. And so I'm done with a two hour run at 6.30 a.m. because I need to get home to kind of support maybe taking um, my son to school or something. So it is an interesting thing where I think you, you throw in external dynamics. And if you have the adaptability um, and, and, and you can kind of maintain the discipline 
you will be able to shift. Um, you may not, it may not be ideal, but um, I think over time I've actually become a morning person. Whereas I, I, I typically used to prefer to function, um, you know, with uh, bigger tasks in the evening. Um, what, one thing I want to ask you, Beck, when you go into a, a, a company or a firm like the Australian Army or Ernst & Young, what's your approach? Are you typically working at a group level or with individuals or both? I mostly work either with the company as a whole or within teams. So I don't do more that so much like one-on-one health coaching type thing. Like I did that for years with physio, I guess. And I, I kind of prefer the model of working, like the connection part that you get from working with a whole team. And if they're all being educated at the same time, then they can go away and work on things together, which I think is a really nice component to it too. So it's kind of like the, the wellness becomes a team building exercise, which is also, I'm obviously economically it's far more affordable for companies to be doing it at a larger scale too than paying for every single employee to have one-on-one coaching which may not necessarily be more efficacious so would you just on that would you say that you lead in with the physical element or is an integration of kind of mind body spirit in terms of your approach i do a little bit of everything so um obviously with my physio background like i do run sessions that are very purely physical like the wonderful, exciting world of ergonomics, which doesn't sound riveting, but I swear it's really important. And especially at the moment with everyone. Yeah, I saw one of your, I saw one of your, yeah, I saw one of your videos on, 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 (laughs) yeah. Yeah, I get excited about it. Nobody else does. Um, And so, yeah, I do cover that stuff. But then, so I'm doing my master's at the moment in um, psychology and neuroscience. And so I'm starting to incorporate a lot more of that. And I also teach meditation. So I run even practical sessions of meditation and that sort of thing for companies as well. But my, my philosophy, the main thing that I'm really passionate about is making sure that everything that I deliver is really evidence-based because I think the biggest issue that I see with corporate wellness is people don't really know where to start. You've got HR managers who possibly aren't even trained in health. They don't have a background in health who have been given this task of running corporate wellbeing programs, which isn't something that they know even where to start with. So they get a random yoga instructor in to run some sessions here and there. They order a fruit box to come in once a month and maybe they have their favorite naturopath come down and run a couple of sessions. And it's not based on any sort of scientific rationale and doesn't necessarily have outcomes. So I'm really all about making sure everything is based on what we know through research actually will have some sort of outcome at the end of the day. Hmm. When you, when you say evidence-based well-being, I love that because well-being is like a term that's, I feel has been more introduced into like the 2000s and obviously the 2010s. Um, it's kind of like how mental health is being slowly more accepted to talk about it. Um, and I find that when you've got the science behind it and the concept and when it's put together, um, it, it really does become really powerful. And I think I saw on your LinkedIn, you were saying that how like we do this because, well, it's to help us to be clearer and more creative and focus on more effective to be more effective, which enhances our mood. And what I hear with like, especially with evidence-based well-being, it allows us to fill up our cup so that we can fill up back up for ourselves so that we can actually give more to the world. I think as what you mentioned as well. Yeah. Is that, does that like ring true to you for yourself? Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, what's the point of it all really at the end of the day, if it's not to improve firstly how we feel, but also how we can contribute. Cause I think the purpose of life really in my minimal understanding thus 
far from what I've discovered in my journey. I think is really like it's connection. It's having a purpose, making a difference. And then like really trying to feel yourself, I guess, which to be, you know, the best version of yourself as, as um, uh, fluffy as that sometimes I think can sound, it really does require us to be healthy. And that's where I think the wellbeing journey can get a bit tricky and complicated and you don't know who to listen to a lot of the time. And so I think by focusing on that evidence-based approach, it's kind of, I guess, the most reliable method that we have of ensuring some level of objectivity when we're deciding what it is that a person or a company needs. When you're, when you're looking at a team and you're standing from an objective space and you can see the, cause you'd see the people dynamics and the power dynamics and you can see some key individuals within a firm are physically unwell or just unwell kind of all round. Can you see how that's impacting the team quite clearly? Is that very visible to you? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is if that person's in a leadership position, obviously, that starts to create a lot more issues. And you do see some fairly negative cultures that come out of a leader who is either physically not overly well and maybe promotes practices like, you know, every celebratory event is Mm. like drink related and it's Mm. like shots, shots, shots. And like, if you're not doing shots, you probably won't get a promotion because we're all about having a party. And I think that sort of thing, obviously, isn't great for like the culture of a company. Um, But then also from a mental perspective, obviously, if you've got someone who is suffering themselves from mental health issues, stress, anxiety, then they're not able to be a mindful leader, which creates a lot of stress for all of their employees. Yeah. Yeah, Toph, you've got a big opinion on that one, don't you, in terms of uh, leaders and and, uh, how they... um, shine um either you know light or or darkness within a company yeah that's true like i first of all i don't think a leader should be my my take on the whole leadership thing you don't have to be a specific age i think there's people in like even in the youth today hence why we kind of like started this in a way that who teach us us stuff and i i think for ourselves it's the, the people that i respect the most as a leader are the ones that are actually doing it themselves mm. and the ones that live with integrity. So everything and live with accountability as well. And that responsibility mm. um, and are happy to get in the trenches and are happy to fall down with you as well. That that's what I think leadership for me as well. And I think there's a lot of wellbeing tied into that. And I yeah. guess piggybacking on top of that, um, you'd probably find out um, back that, with any corporate client that you work with, there's probably a range of different age demographics. Are you, are you finding that you're having to cater your well-being, your, your, um, your evidence-based well-being to suit different age demographics or is it something that you just go with a shotgun approach and then you just, they all kind of just fall, like anyone kind of falls into it? Yeah, I, d- I think, this is the same whether you're a health professional or whether you're coming into a group you have to tailor things because people won't listen to you if you don't come at it from an angle that they understand and I'm really like I even notice 
if I'm talking to a group of tradies, like the way that I articulate my words will be completely different. And I'm not, obviously that's a bit of a stereotype, but like you've got to read the audience and they need to feel connected to you and have rapport. Otherwise they're not going to believe or listen to a word that you have to say. So obviously the message and the intrinsic thing I'm trying to get across stays the same, but the way that I deliver it is completely different. If it's like a group of 60 year old engineers versus like a, some sort of tech startup of 20 year old people, like it's just a very different, um, Ball game, and I think from a leadership perspective too, you you notice some really big differences, obviously in the leadership style and the way that I have to deliver something. Often will differ based on what what it is that they request. Because sometimes they're like, look, you know, I spoke to a group of lawyers recently, and they're like, look, our young lawyers, they've got to work like fourteen hour days, so don't you dare come in here and tell them that they need to get eight hours sleep because they're not going to get it. So what can you deliver that works within our framework? And obviously that doesn't sit overly well with me but I know that it's better that I can at least if I can get my foot in the door and explain to them how to get good quality sleep that's at least better than nothing and I know I can't be the one to change the number of hours that they do in a day and despite having that conversation with leaders you know it's probably not going to get me very far but at least if you can be there and like delivering it within the conversation and the language that works for them I think you can at least make some sort of a difference. Do, do you find that the Australian commerce ecosystem has become more open i mean as an american that's been here now 13 years i know in america it's something that's embraced relatively well it's a culture of um you know stand out on, on the top of the mountain and uh and and uh motivate as as much as you can it's kind of how we we grew up there but i think the australian culture is very different and there's a level of cynicism um that I think is shifting. Do you find that the conversations that you're having with businesses, it's easy to create opportunities or are you having to jump through hoops? And given that you might be young and do you find it, it challenging in, in respect to that whole piece for yourself? Yeah, it's a really good question. I wouldn't say that I have found it overly challenging. I actually don't go out and seek work myself. Like I just get work through word of mouth or through LinkedIn and like different social media platforms. So I've not really ever done like the whole cold calling thing. So I guess when people come to me, they're coming to me based on a recommendation or having seen my qualifications and stuff. And so I don't have to battle too much, yeah. but I do see even like within a large organization that there can be you know, different people that I work with who are a bit more cynical about things than others. Um, but I usually find if you can speak to them in, you know, again, in the language that they understand and identify with, that you can usually get them across the line. Hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating you say that. I'm, I'm glad and I'm, I'm so happy for you that it it's coming to you because it, yeah, at, at first it was almost, it's almost like taboo to, to speak wellness to like, you may have someone who's um, in their sixties, for example, that's leading a company and they're just adamant on, no, this is not it. We might be, and I'm not saying being generalizing and stereotyping on someone that's a lot older, but it's, it is, it can be quite common as someone that's a little bit more of a younger, of a younger demographic. Um, but what I was going to, um, as we start to wrap things up, Beck, um, really, really do appreciate you um, speaking about about wellness on here. Um, I know a lot of people that maybe listening would take a lot of value from this, just because even in today's world of of in the COVID situation, like it's just it's so 
um, erratic and sporadic in the world right now, whether it's in Australia, America, anywhere. Um, and for us to be a little bit more, um, to help us think a little bit clearer and help us um, be better people and show up, especially at work, um, definitely have you to thank and very grateful for that. Oh, thank you for having me on. I think this, I feel like the next generation are going to be the ones that are going to be really great at this because everyone, not again, not being ageist, but there's definitely a lot more excitement, I think, around. And that's probably largely because we've been um, exposed to so much more of this information. Like a lot of this understanding that we have now is quite new. And so the next generation, I think, are going to be the big leaders in this space who are young, the next one down from me. Well, I don't even know what generation I am. I don't think I'm a millennial, am I? It, if you're yeah if you're i mean i'm I'm 81 and i found out i'm uh, the beginning of a millennial so oh right i'm 87 mm. I'm definitely well you're millennial. definitely a millennial don't yeah. identify with the, the i feel like i'm older like I'm yeah older. there's different spectrum yeah, there's, <laughs> di there's different kind of um, rungs on that ladder but you definitely yeah. are a millennial i i think okay. it, i i think it, it's all about abundance too like i was talking to uh, my friends and, and my wife about this. Like, if you look at the World War II generation, they had a very different perspective on work. It was stay with one company. It was about security, about kind of digging it out for the long haul. And if you think about it, COVID may shift the way on how we kind of educate our children about opportunities. Because, you know, one could say if COVID and, and kind of uh, viruses start to become prevalent, we will be teaching our kids to, to again, focus on critical industries, critical jobs. It, it may not be like when we were growing up, you can have anything and be anything you want, right? So I think it's all yeah. about where we're at in the cycle uh, in relation to abundance. And I think we, um, as a collective um, in, 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 in this conversation, have grown up in a generation where, yes, we can very much do and be and create change. And I'm interested to see if that kind of continues. Um, um, and, you know, I know COVID's probably temporarily, but it's just something that I've been thinking about lately. So um, I just wanted to ask you uh, one more question before we ask you our final question, Beck. When you're working with companies, what's the end game? Like, what is the watermark of success? Like, how do you actually, in something that can be as vague as team wellness with different dynamics and factors, and I mean, that means so many different things to so many different people. What's the watermark of success in any one of your engagements? That is such a good question. And really, that is probably the biggest challenge with corporate well-being is that measurement piece because we don't have any really like high quality reliable measurements of success like we look at things like absenteeism presenteeism like we can look at work cover rates um you can do obviously questionnaires subjective assessments but there's nothing that i feel is really adequate just yet so obviously we need to just continue working in that space. And I know there's some quite cool um, things coming up in that space with different groups, entrepreneurs working on different ideas around that. But I guess that actually your question to me is my question to companies when I first work with them is like, what, what in an ideal world, if we could have this like perfectly ideal wellbeing program, what would the outcome look like to you? And I think it's all well and good for me to have an idea in my head of what that looks like, but it needs to be individual to the company and the employee's needs. And so ideally that's a conversation that I have with the person organizing the program, but then also with as many employees as possible. So 
often it's not practical to sit there and interview every single one. So maybe we send out a questionnaire and understand a little bit about what areas they are lacking in. In some situations, we're lucky enough to be able to do a health assessment at the start of any intervention that we do. And then again, maybe a year later as a follow-up yeah. to see if there is any changes. And that can be a slightly more reliable form, but obviously, you know, the most basic health assessment that we have at the moment that is affordable to most companies isn't as good as I would like it to be. You know, it's measuring things like blood pressure and heart rate and a subjective questionnaire about lifestyle things. You do a little blood test that gives you a very small amount of information about cholesterol levels, but not really anything that's a true marker of well-being, in my opinion. So it's a kind of a bit of a watch this space. We do as best as we can and we try and tailor to the group as best as we can. Just, just one, one question on that. I have a friend, um, his name is Craig Duncan, and he was the head of uh, the Socceroos Sports Performance, and he's, uh, he's Dr. Craig Duncan, and he has some opinions on this stuff. And we were talking about, and it may be prevalent in your space, um, this whole monitoring of executives through like kind of this Fitbit technology. Is that stuff happening in the corporate world, like with athletes, this 24-hour monitoring of vitals and kind of, you know, the physiology of, of the uh, executives within a company? Do you see any? Of, yeah, not in any of the companies that I work with. I mean, obviously, yeah. there's like a privacy piece there that is a bit challenging. There's, a, there's big, you know, there's corporate health assessments you can do that are relatively encompassing that do like a fairly thorough examination of all different sorts of vitals and also you know there's even ones where you can like ultrasound all of the organs and stuff if you want to get yeah. really fancy but in terms of like a wearable device um i guess you are you talking in a mandatory way or like an no well well i, I you know the, the conversation i was having with craig is if you had a board of a of a listed company they would be very interested to know what shape their top executives are in and yeah. if, I, if I'm a CEO of NAB, I would be willing to have um, some form of uh, security uh, kind of, um, you know, I would, I would put that to the side in terms of allowing, you know, um, the, the board to ensure that I'm, I'm performing at an optimal pace and space, right? So that's like, am, what, mm. you know, how much sleep am I getting? What's my vitals? Am I, am I eating the right food? That, all that kind of stuff. Because for me, um, that's a form of risk mitigation, you know, you've got people at the head of the table making millions and you know, decisions that are worth millions and millions of dollars. Mm. Um, but again, there, you are right. There is a privacy piece there, but I know that kind of stuff happens with athletes. Um, yeah. It's interesting. Cause I guess, and I think there's a lot of um, ethics and philosophical conversations around this stuff that I've read. Cause there are some devices coming out now that claim that they can measure like mental health based things and mm. you know certainly you can wear like a um, device on your head that can measure different brain waves and stuff but obviously then you get into all of these other pieces like so if someone's not performing well or they're not eating right do they then lose their position as a ceo and i think it could really like mm. if there's a whole lot of other things that yeah. are yeah. related that could get quite tricky and obviously a lot of those measurement tools aren't that accurate yet and would require a lot of manual input. So for example, like there's nothing at the moment that measures your nutrition automatically. You'd have to be manually inputting mm. every meal snack, um, like on one of those, my fitness pal type things, which is extremely time consuming um, and not overly accurate unless you're really practiced at that sort of thing. So 
yeah, I think it's a really interesting space. And I agree. And the reason I got into corporate wellbeing is because I believe that, you know, athletes, I was working with athletes and they get access to all of this amazing health information and advice. And yet we don't see that in the people that are like running our country, That's teaching right. our children, running our big corporate organizations. So I agree. I think that they'll, it's a watch this space thing, but it will just be that challenge of, you know, with, I know a lot of companies have got wearable devices for employees, but they de-individualize the data that comes out of that. So mm. obviously in a, in a more like executive situation, if you're like specifically tracking one person, I think that starts to be quite Tricky. complicated. But yeah. Interesting. yeah. I'm I, I, touching on that. I met a, <laughs> he's a head of operations for a um, superannuation company. And he told me how he implemented this system in the company and he was able to quantify on the employee's resilience and well-being it's it so fascinating when he's telling me and but it does come down to like a lot of surveys um but the fact that he said that I was like i think you're on to something here because it like when you were saying before it's it's hard to measure it and i think once you can measure it it's obviously then you can go from there but i think you're definitely on the right track there um yeah. Yeah, there's a couple of companies that are doing that. I know there's one called Benny Button and they kind of focus on those measure, measurement tools. But again, it's all questionnaire based. Um, and Virgin Pulse has sort of a platform version of it that you can attach to your wearable devices. But yeah, probably all of those same issues, I think, that I was mentioning before. But it's exciting. I think a lot of progress will happen in that area. Yeah. Well, where, where can um, people find you, back? If anyone that's listening right now and they're like, oh, I'm very intrigued with what she's talking about um like where can people reach out to you and then where can people find your services so i am predominantly i'm on linkedin a lot um as you've obviously seen i speak a lot on linkedin um, my name just beck mitchell and instagram i post a bit on there about this stuff too which is the same at beck mitchell fantastic well um we have one final question which we ask all of our guests and it is what is the one piece of game-changing advice that you could give to the next generation? Oh, that's such a good question. I feel <laughs> so much pressure. <laughs> Go ahead, scratch, your, scratch your chin. You scratch your chin. Like, I know, I'm, my beard. Um, <laughs> I think, I mean, I, my, my biggest advice and what I've probably learned in life, I think that is most helpful is that you are not your thoughts, which might sound a bit abstract, but that's a, a sort of a meditation idea that has really helped me in daily life. And that's just learning that, you know, we think all day, we're often caught up in rumination. I think I spent the first like 20 years of my life just permanently thinking that every thought that I had was true and, and, and was my reality. Mm. And through meditation, gradually I've learned that that is not the case and that thoughts are just one part of consciousness and that it is possible to choose your thoughts and to you know focus more on the things that you do value and that's been probably the most powerful thing that I think that I've learned in my studies and and my journey so far it's so simplistic but not easy is it you know it's it's one of those things where uh yeah it's um very simple but not always easy in practice but I think I I agree with you it is profound and you start to yeah. realize that you are not your thoughts. It is not who you are. So with that, Beck, we'd really like to thank you for joining us on the next gen. Really appreciate your time. Um, and we will continue to stay in touch on LinkedIn and um, yeah, hope to see you in the, in the universe. Thank you so much. I'm also glad to 
know that I'm now a millennial, one of the crew. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely are. You made the cut. <laughs> Thanks, guys.